The scripture reading is the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. It can be found on page 901 in the Black Bibles. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. If I haven't gotten a chance to meet you, my name is Andres and I serve as one of the pastors here at, at Christ the King. Really grateful to share God's word with you uh, this morning. What is it um, about us that is always seeking to grow? You know, I remember growing up in rural Minnesota, not a lot of Salvadorans in that part of the country, and we're not exactly known for being tall. You know, my dad is 5'5", five five, my mom is 5'2", and I think it was the summer after sixth grade going into seventh grade. We all returned back after the summer, new fall semester, and I saw all of my friends for the first time, and it felt like me that hey, they had all of a sudden turned into giants. Felt super puny and small, and I didn't want to be the small guy, so I'll tell you what I did, like every other pastor's kid would do. I prayed. And I tell you, I probably grew four to five inches uh, right after that prayer over the next month. <laughs> We're always seeking to grow. But it's not just in the inconsequential things in life, like trying to gain an extra inch or two. I'm sure you've had other areas in your life where you've sought growth. Your marriage your career, your relationship with your children, your wealth, your education. 
The Bible commentator Warren Wiersbe once wrote that nothing paralyzes our lives like the attitude that things can never change. Growth is in our very nature. One of the most profound gifts that God has given us is the ability to have dreams and then work toward realizing and accomplishing those dreams. And yet, why do we as Christians so often neglect the most important area of our lives? Maybe it's because we don't think we can actually grow and change. Or maybe it's because we've tried to change and to grow in an area of our lives and it just hasn't turned out the way we wanted or expected it to. Or maybe it's simply because we actually think we've arrived. That there really is no more need or cause for growth because we've achieved peak spirituality. But what does the Bible have to say about growing spiritually? Actually, quite a lot. Part of what this passage that we just read says is that for the Christian, spiritual growth, or another term might be spiritual maturity, is not only possible, it's inevitable. You can change, and you will change. But how does it happen? And what does that change look like? That's what we'll be seeing this morning through this passage, and we'll look at it through three points. First, the process of growth. Second, the purpose of growth. And third, the power for growth. So first, the process of growth. What does it mean to grow spiritually? You know, the image that Jesus is using here in this passage is that of fruit growing from a tree. It's actually a very common image in the Bible. Listen again, verses one and two. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. The word there means something like farmer, gardener, someone who works the soil. And then he continues saying, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Now that's the image, right? The father is a gardener. Jesus is the vine and Christians are the branches. And just like fruit grows from branches, Jesus says Christians also must grow fruit. But what does that mean? You know, we used to have in our old home a variety of fruit trees. And one of my favorite ones, but also the most frustrating one, was a peach tree that we had. It was one of the most amazing ones because when it produced peaches, it was amazing. It was tasty, it was sweet, it was beautiful just to see. But that's the key term, when it produced. Because I had it for about four years before we moved, and in those four years, I could never understand why certain years it produced good fruit and other years it just didn't. But if I had to guess, I would imagine that it probably had something to do with the inputs. Think of, think of this image of gardening using the language of inputs and outputs. In order for a tree or a plant to grow healthily and to bear fruit, certain inputs have to be in place, yeah? The sun, the soil, fertilizer, water. Then the quality and quantity of these inputs then determines the outputs, the results that those inputs produce vegetables, bananas, apples, 
etc. Now go back to this text now. There is an expectation from Jesus that his followers would produce fruit in their lives, meaning certain positive results that are visible, that are tangible for others. And what we're talking specifically about here is your character, your habits, your actions. In other words, God expects you, expects to see the results of you being a Christian. Now, what is some of that fruit? What is some of that change that God expects? There's actually two passages in the New Testament that describe the fruit that Christians are expected to produce in their lives. One of them, very well known, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Galatians in chapter 5, and this is what he writes. He says that the fruit of the Spirit is, and many of you memorize this in BVS, so here you go, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now there's a second passage, and this is from the Apostle Peter in the second letter, chapter one. Here's how he describes the change or the fruit that Christians are expected to produce. He says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Notice that there is not a single indication or expectation that you, that you would ever arrive, that there would ever be a moment in your life where you would say, okay, I've produced all the fruit that I ever could. Quite the opposite, right? It would take you a lifetime to embody and to produce every single one of these qualities in such a way that they become second nature. In fact, Jesus will later say, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, a ton of fruit, an abundance and multiplication of fruit. That is how the Father is glorified, Jesus says. There is a change that is supposed to come as a result of you becoming a Christian. Now, isn't this refreshing and freeing in some ways? We live in a culture that seems to suggest that you are simply a product of your circumstances or that only tries to define us based on the lowest common possible denominator. Oh, you went to this school, you must be this person. Oh, you live in that neighborhood, you must behave like this. Oh, your parents were like this, you were born on this month, this is your race or income, so this is how we're going to define you, this is who you are. Now that's not denying that these things don't have an effect on you, it's to say that they don't have ultimate power over you. That's such a static view of a human person because what the Bible actually says is that people can change and grow and develop in a very positive way. You don't have to be the same person you were a year or five or 10 or 30 years ago. No matter how much people may want to reduce you, the difference though for the Christian is the purpose and the power for your growth. So that's where we're headed. Number two, the purpose of growth. Now put simply, Jesus says here 
that the purpose for growth is to bring God glory, to glorify God. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The purpose of you growing, bearing fruit, maturing in your walk with Jesus is so that you can bring God honor. Now, if Leah or Timothy, my kids, behave in class or they're generous with their classmates, that's a reflection on me, isn't it? Because they're my children who bear my resemblance and they also carry my name. Likewise, if they're rude or they're bullies and they pick on other kids, that reflects poorly on me, doesn't it? Or maybe that's a more actually, uh, accurate reflection of me, actually. But the point is it brings me dishonor. See, God cares that we bring honor to his name as his children. And therefore, he's infinitely invested in us producing good fruit, a good character, good habits and speech and thoughts and actions. Now, how does that happen? How do we truly change? Jesus says here that we must abide in him. Verse four and five, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Just like a branch can't bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The word abide means to remain still, to stay put in one place, to wait, to pause, to linger. The opposite, of course, of abide is to depart, to move on, to get away, to leave. What are you abiding in? Where do you spend most of your time? What do you spend your days thinking about the most? Wanting, dreaming, desiring. Here's one way to know. I don't know how many of you might uh, have known this or figured this out. There's this great new um, feature on the iPhone that is called Screen Time. And it's a feature that lets you see which app you spend most of your time. If I were to ask you to pull that out, what would it reveal? Who do you spend most of your time listening to? What voices are most influencing you? And how are those voices, remember inputs and outputs, how are those voices influencing your thoughts, your habits, your emotions? Here's another way for you to know what you're abiding in. What is the current fruit of your life? How would others describe your character? Remember what I said earlier about inputs and outputs? Jesus said that a bad tree can't produce good fruit. In other words, the current fruit of your life, your current character, your habits, your emotions, your actions, your thoughts, are a result of your inputs, what you are abiding in. I remember... uh, watching this documentary 
many years ago, Super Size Me. You guys remember that uh, documentary? It was about uh, Morgan uh, Spurlock back in 2004, who was an independent filmmaker, and he wanted to see what would happen if he would eat nothing but McDonald's for 30 days straight. Three days, uh, three meals a day. Now, what do you think was the result? Exactly what you'd expect, right? He gained 25 pounds. He was always in a mood and angry. He was depressed. He lost all his energy and motivations. He even started having heart palpitations. And at the end of that experiment, right, 30 days, it took him 14 months to lose the weight that he had gained in 30 days. All because of what he was consuming. What is the fruit of your life revealing about what you're abiding in? Anyone here struggling with greed? Where is that coming from? Anyone here struggling with anger or anxiety? What are you abiding in? Just think about this for a second. Okay, let's play this mental exercise. If you were to abide on nothing but Twitter for 30 days... What kind of fruit do you think that would produce? If you were to abide on nothing but Pinterest or Instagram, what would that produce in you? Are you abiding on CNN or Fox News? How is that shaping how you see others? Here's the thing that you have to remember. And Clay brought this up uh, in one of our sessions earlier uh, this week as we were talking about this passage. Inputs, um, the songs you listen to, the media you consume, the apps you're on, the shows you watch, the books you read, inputs are never neutral. They will always lead you one way or another. They will either produce good, healthy fruit and shape you, mold you, form you into a spiritually healthy and mature Christian, or they will lead you away from that towards chaos, immaturity, and unhealth. A lot of you know and have heard about the concept of compound interest. Uh, The easiest way to explain, many of you maybe have seen this meme somewhere, is that if you took a single dollar and you doubled that $1 every single day for 30 days, do you know how much money you'd have at the end of those 30 days? $5,368,709.12. From a single dollar doubled every single day. See, you might, listen, you might think, Oh, it's just one show. It's just one channel. It's just one artist that I'm listening to. You know, seeing this one show won't do me any harm. But what would be the cumulative effect of day after day, week after week, month after month, over 10, 20, and 30 years of you watching those movies, of you listening to that music, of you seeing that channel, of you being on that app, what do you think would be the result? Yes, one day might not make all the difference, but we are creatures of habit. 
And if we're honest and took an assessment of our lives, we would, I think, have to conclude, if we're honest, even as Christians, that our hearts do not abide in Jesus. Our hearts are so easily and quickly drawn to other things for pleasure, for satisfaction, to bring us peace and comfort, security, happiness, and fulfillment. So what do we do? How can we truly grow? Is there even a way? Number three, and last, the power for growth. The organic imagery in this passage is actually very intentional. It's not by accident, of course. There is a connection between this vine imagery, John 15, this passage we just read, and the Old Testament. Now, in the Old Testament, it is the nation of Israel, God's covenant people, who are described as a vine. And you see this connection very clearly in John uh, Psalm chapter 80, John brought it to my attention. And this is what the psalmist writes. God brought a vine out of Egypt. He drove out the nations and he planted it. He cleared the ground for it and it took deep root and filled the land. Now what the author is talking about there in Psalm 80 is Israel being described as a vine that was freed from slavery in Egypt, taken to the promised land and planted, meaning it found a permanent home, it was established, and it filled the land, it multiplied. They had children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. But then this same language of a vine is then picked up by the prophets later on. And it's picked up in a negative way to say, Israel, you were the vine. You were protected and nourished. But you've strayed away from God's path. Your hearts have gone astray. You've started to follow other idols. You've disobeyed and dishonored God. You've cut yourself off from your source of life and you've withered and died. Does that language sound familiar? Yeah, it's the same language that Jesus is picking up here on John 15, except for this. In John 15, Jesus is described and says that he is the true vine and that his people are the branches. Now, how is Jesus the vine? Because he abided in God. The way that Jesus himself described his relationship with God the Father was if you've been paying attention to this series um, and going through the Gospel of John, you might have picked up on some of this language. He uses language like, I and the Father are one. Or he says, I only do what I see the Father do. Or I am in the Father and the Father is in me. See, what Jesus is describing through these passages is this incredibly intimate and close relationship that the Father and the Son have had since before eternity began. In fact, in one of the most intimate passages of all of Scripture, John chapter 1, it describes the Son, Jesus, as being in the bosom of the Father. That is close to the chest of God. All of his life, Jesus abided. He stayed put. He never strayed. He never departed from doing the Father's will. Even in Jesus' darkest hour, even when he was most tempted to turn away, Jesus remained faithful and steadfast. 
But was there ever a time that they were disconnected? Was there ever a time that Jesus and the Father were not in this close, intimate relationship? Yes. But it wasn't because the son strayed or turned away. It was because the father turned away. On the cross, as Jesus lay hanging, tortured and bruised, he carried the sins of the whole world. He carried my sins. He carried your sins. He carried all of his people's sins, past, present, and future sins. And because he was carrying the sins of the whole world, the father had to turn away. And for the first time ever, the father and the son experienced disconnection. The son experienced what he says will happen here if you're disconnected from him. He experienced hell. A withering, a deterioration, a weakening as he remained disconnected to the source of life. Now, why would Jesus go through all of that? If he was holy and righteous and good, why would Jesus willingly take on the sins of his people? He did it for us so that we who deserve to be cast away, thrown into the fire, could instead remain close to the Father. And if Jesus is divine, do you know what that means? There's a couple of things. But number one, it means that if you want to get to the Father, you have to go through Jesus. There is no other way. If you want to get to God, you have to go through Jesus. But second of all, it means that in order for us to find life, we have to go through him. We can try other methods, other formulas, other cures, but only Jesus satisfies. Only Jesus is the source of life. Only Jesus gives you complete, utter satisfaction, peace. And happiness. But how do we do that? How, how do we abide in Jesus? We have to be grafted, is the language. We have to be grafted into the vine. We have to be grafted into Jesus. We have to remain, abide in Jesus. Jesus is the power for growth. Why do we so often fail to grow in our walk? It's because we forget that we are not Jesus, that we are not the vine. We must remain connected to the vine in order to grow. As long as you abide in Jesus, remain close to him, you will grow. You have to grow. It's inevitable. And in verse 9, Jesus tells us what it means to abide in him. It means to abide in his love to receive his love, to rest in his love, to know and enter into this personal relationship with him, this intimate relationship with Jesus. Now you might say, well, what, you know, what about later on when Jesus says that to abide means to obey his commandments, to keep his commandments? Well, that is true. But then in verse 12, he says what his commandments are, and he sums it up this way, what his commandments are, and he sums it up this way. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. In other words, 
My commandment, Jesus says, is that you love each other. But how do you know how to love other people? And whether or not you're doing it well, you have to know Jesus' love. You have to receive Jesus' love. You have to know how much he loves you to rest in that love, to receive that love. And is there ever a day where you get to a point where you don't need his love anymore? No, of course not. Every day, including today, you get an invitation to receive and to rest in Jesus' love. Because only then will you be able to love others the way that you know you're supposed to love. Only then will you be able to grow and to produce all this beautiful fruit that Paul and other Testament writers go on to talk about. But you know what else? Jesus doesn't just say, okay, now you know what to do, so go do it. Right? He knows that we're weak and that we cannot do this by ourselves. So he gives us two other things to help us. Two other resources. Number one, he gives you his Holy Spirit. John chapter 15, his book ended by Jesus talking about sending the Holy Spirit to his followers. And specifically, he says that it'll be the Holy Spirit who will be the one at work in his disciples causing true growth. In other words, what you shouldn't think leaving from this place is, okay, guess I have to grow. Time to get to growing. Jesus says that it'll be the Holy Spirit who will be at work in you, teaching you, reminding you of everything that Jesus said. God is much more interested and invested in your growth than you are. Isn't that a relief? But second, he gives us other people. Do you know that in this text, there is not a single use of the word you, Y-O-U, in the singular. In other words, Jesus is not addressing individuals in this text. He's addressing a community. Every time you see you, what you really should read and think is y'all. Texas Revised Edition, right? Y'all need to bear fruit. Y'all remain close to the vine. Y'all. What does that mean? It means and reminds us that we need each other. We can't do this alone. We weren't supposed to, meant to, created to walk this journey of faith alone. We need each other. Now, as pastors, you know, we often remind you uh, to seek Christian community, right? That uh, you need other Christians in your walk and that our community needs you, and that's all true. But what can often be miscommunicated in that is that somehow pastors are disconnected from that. Not only do you all need each other, but we need you. I need you. I cannot grow spiritually in my walk with Jesus without you. And if you are part of this vine that God is nurturing here at Christ the King, then that means that we're all connected. Or as Paul tells the Corinthians, the I can't tell the ear, I don't need you. I need you. You need the person next to you. Your spiritual health affects us all. 
when one part of the body is unhealthy, the rest of the body feels it. Or as John said last week, a lone sheep is a snack for a wolf. This is why we encourage you to join all these different avenues for growth, for connection, for discipleship in our church, Bible studies, community groups, service teams, Sunday schools, and yes, gathered worship. We need you. And remember, it's the slow, long-term investment that pays richly in dividends. When we trust in what Jesus did for us, he gives us the true power that we need to grow in our faith as followers of his. Let's pray. Father, you are the source of all that is good and true and beautiful. Help us this year to abide and to remain connected to Jesus. Give us strength when we are weak, steadfastness when we are tempted to fall, and wisdom to walk in your ways. Through Christ our Lord, amen.